The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a national democratic strategist, a columnist for The Hill in Washington, D.C., and a political analyst for news radio station KNX in Los Angeles. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. Every Monday on Deadline DC, we talk to the people and players behind the politics and policies that drive our great nation forward. We've got a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk a lot about, uh, maybe too much, about uh, Donald Trump. Uh, we had, he, uh, he gave his, uh, he announced for president again uh, last week. Uh, the Justice Department appointed a special prosecutor to investigate him, uh, and there are all sorts of recriminations flying back and forth uh, within the Republican Party about his leadership. We also, uh, as uh, Donald Trump uh, entered the fray, uh, Nancy Pelosi left it. Uh, she uh, resigned her position as Democratic leader, although she will stay as a member of Congress. So we've got lots to talk about. Uh, joining us today, we have two guests, Mabinti uh, Kwashi. Uh, who is a uh, national politics reporter and uh, assistant elections editor at USA Today. Then in the second half hour, our guest will be Tara Devlin, the host of the podcast, Tara Busta. But before we get to Midbinti, uh, we have this clip uh, about uh, the Attorney General Merrick Garland appointing a special prosecutor, Jack Smith, to investigate Donald Trump's crimes. I signed an order appointing Jack Smith to serve as special counsel. The order authorizes him to continue the ongoing investigation into both of the matters that I have just described and to prosecute any federal crimes that may arise from those investigations. Mr. Smith is a veteran career prosecutor. He began his prosecutorial career in 1994 as an assistant district attorney with the New York County DA's office. In 1999, he became an assistant U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of New York, where over the course of nine years, he prosecuted matters ranging from gang murders of police officers to civil rights violations. From 2008 to 2010, he served with the International Criminal Court, where he supervised war crimes investigations. In 2010, Mr. Smith returned to the Justice Department to serve as chief of the Public Integrity Section where he led a team of more than 30 prosecutors who handled public corruption and election crimes cases across the United States. In 2015, he agreed to serve as the first assistant U.S. attorney for the Middle District of Tennessee, later becoming the acting United States attorney. Most recently, Mr. Smith served as a chief prosecutor for the special court in the Hague 
charged with investigating and adjudicating war crimes in Kosovo. That, of course, was the Attorney General of the United States, Merrick Garland, introducing a new special prosecutor uh, investigating Donald Trump. That would be uh, DOJ Attor career attorney uh, Jack Smith. Our guest in this half hour is Mabinti Kwashi, who is the, a national political reporter for USA Today and also the assistant elections editor. Welcome back to Deadly, uh, Deadline DC, Mabinti. I'm glad I didn't scare you away on your first appearance on the show. Thanks, Brad. I'm you deserve a lot of credit be... for coming brave and being brave enough to come back. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. I'm grateful to be here with you. Okay, last week we had uh, Donald Trump 24 7. Uh, he threw his hat into the ring. Uh, for another presidential campaign. Uh, as we just heard, uh, the attorney general announced the appointment of a special prosecutor uh, to investigate him. Uh, and uh, Republicans in particular, are there are a lot of recriminations within the GOP about his leadership. So it's still Donald Trump all the time. And I'm sorry, just even though he dislikes being investigated by a special prosecutor, uh, he still likes the fact that everybody, including us here on Deadline DC, are talking about him. So my question to you is, Mabinti, uh, what is, does Donald Trump still have uh, his stronghold over the Republican Party? He's also facing a very aggressive challenger, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, in the Republican presidential primary. So is Trump still the king of the GOP or not? I think that's a great question, and it's a bit complicated to answer it, mostly because I believe Trump is still king of the GOP base, where that doesn't play out with and we saw that during the midterms is with independent voters and of course Democrats. And so while Trump remains popular among the Republican base, when it comes to statewide races that Republicans need to win, that doesn't always pan out. Um, in several states during the midterms where Trump, you know, handpicked a candidate, that candidate, I'm thinking about Pennsylvania, I'm thinking about how, so even though Herschel Walker didn't lose the Senate race in Georgia, it's still, it's gone off into a runoff, even though, you know, Brian won his election match against Stacey Abrams. So I want to say that um, given the fact that we didn't see the so-called red wave during the midterms, I do think it has emboldened Republican politicians to slowly or maybe subtly build up their profile ahead of a 2024 presidential run. But that doesn't mean Trump isn't still popular with the base. It doesn't mean that they will still support him. And as you said, you know, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, I mean, he easily defeated his um, his Democratic opponent. I mean, the GOP swept Florida. Essentially, he is in a strong position to emerge as a contender to President Trump in 2024. And again, I do think, you know, several Republicans are upset that Trump has cost them the Senate. You know, they they could have potentially won back the Senate if they had had stronger candidates who weren't, you know, necessarily election deniers running for the race. I think what the midterms showed us is that the American electorate is not willing to full-heartedly support election deniers in a wide way. Um, and I think 
that's part of the reason why so many Republicans, you know, lost their Senate races. And that's why we probably didn't see a red wave even in the House. I want to point out that it took a week for um, national outlets to declare Republicans had taken back the House. You know, that's not the way it was supposed to go. If you think back to no. after the... <laughs> no. Yeah. If you, if you think back to after Virginia's governor election in 2021, I mean, that week you had House Republicans on the Hill bragging about how they were going to make parental rights their their stronghold and they were going to win you know up to 60 house seats and that's not the case this time around it's you know between trump's meddling and between um roe v wade being overturned the american public said they're not willing to go full on for the republican party just yet um now again republicans have two more years to maybe rebuild and make a compelling com case to the american public but that again largely depends on President Trump, like how much, you know, oxygen he takes in the airspace. And as you've pointed out, we are spending this interview talking about him first. <laughs> we have not actually even mentioned Kevin McCarthy, who is, you know, trying to... Um, oh, we'll get to Kevin McCarthy. You know. We'll get to Kevin McCarthy. Uh, <laughs> let me uh, ask you this. Uh, I should also, well, two things I want to comment on, two things you said. Uh, one, I spent way too much time pouring through the exit polls after Election mm -hmm. Day. And one thing I learned is that uh, the pro-choice vote was a lot stronger than anybody anticipated. There were almost as many people who said they voted on the basis of abortion as voted uh, said they voted on the basis of inflation, uh, which surprised me. And I'm sure many Republicans who built their campaign around inflation. Do the Republicans have anything to say uh, when they, they will take control of the House, do they have anything to say about uh, what they would do to lower the inflation rate now that they have some power? Well, you know what, McGinty, I'm, I'm going to cut you off there because we've got to go to the break and it's unfair to ask okay. you uh, a question with a long answer as we go into break. Uh, we will be back uh, with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, after this quick break so we can let our radio listeners take a brief vacation, uh, which only lasts for a couple minutes. We will stay with Mavinti Kwashi uh, during the break with our video uh, viewers, so don't go anywhere. Uh, we'll be back with more of Deadline DC. And by the way, it's casual Monday, so if you're dressed in a suit and tie while you're watching or listening, throw on your jeans and your hoodie uh, <laughs> during the break. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. By the way, a note to our radio listeners, if you'd like to watch us, uh, as well as listen to us, uh, you can watch us on Twitter at twitter.com uh, front slash Brad Bannon, or you can watch us on facebook.com front slash deadline DC with Brad Bannon front slash videos. You can also watch us on uh, YouTube. I have my own YouTube channel, believe it or not. Uh, our guest in this half hour is Mavinti Korshi. Uh, who is a uh, national politics reporter and assistant elections editor at USA Today. Uh, we were talking about uh, Nancy Pelosi and her legacy before we went to break. Uh, 
now this is my opinion, Mabinti. Uh, it just seems to me from what I read and see, we see, we seem to be on the way, at least on the Democratic side, uh, to a new leadership team. Uh, can you uh, talk about that? Yeah. So I, this is related to what we were talking about before we came back. But um, with Nancy Pelosi stepping down as House Speaker, it is an end of an era. Nancy Pelosi has been in leadership for decades now. And so she's stepping down and she's allowing a younger group of people to step up. I mean, again, you know, Nancy Pelosi's in her 80s. Several, you know, members of Congress are in their 80s. And now we're, we're getting, you know, some 50-year-olds and some 40-year-olds who are stepping into Democratic leadership primarily. You know, there's the new big three. There's, you know, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries. We've got um, Representative Catherine Clark. Um, and then we have uh, Massachusetts. Yes. And we have Congressman Pete Aguilar. They're all running for the top three roles in the House. Again, I want to point out that they're all pretty young, right? None of them are in their 80s. So they're going to be around for decades. You know, I also want to point out that um, it's a diverse group. It's a representative group. of. Um, and I also want to point out about, about the three of them is that this has been a mostly bloodless transition of power, you know, um, Nancy Pelosi and her deputies worked, well, I, I can't say I know for sure, but I think they worked behind the scenes to make sure this was mostly bloodless. There's not a lot of backbiting and infighting. Um, you know, Hakeem, Representative Hakeem Jeffries, you know, barring anything unexpected, will most likely become the leader of the House Democrats as, you know, and then- And the with, first uh, black speaker of- the Yes, the United first States black speaker. Yes. Um, you know, again, I think- the Democratic Party, especially when we think about the House, which has far more members than the Senate, um, they do have the opportunity not just to make symbolic gestures, but to put um, action behind the words of we're going to be this big tent party and we're going to represent the full diversity of America. Um, so he said he is set to be a history maker and he's set to, you know, have this role for possibly decades as well, you know, and it's going to be interesting to see what the new big three do because they're coming in as the minority party. So they're not going to have a lot of power, but um, this could be a good, them being in the minority could be a good way of seeing how he leads and, and the sort of work that he will do if he one day becomes house speaker, which will probably happen. Yeah. Uh, now, let me ask you, uh, the clean Democratic leadership uh, turnover, changeover, uh, contrasts to the somewhat messy uh, situation on the Republican side. Could you speak about that, please, Mabinti? Yeah. Um, you know, earlier I said a lot of people had ex had been expecting a red wave, right? Like I said, it turned at the end into of last a puddle. Yeah, it did not. It did not pan out the way Republicans thought it was going to pan out. And I think even Democrats were a little surprised themselves. I think they had resigned. Speaking as a themselves. Democrat, they were. Yeah, <laughs> they were surprised. Um, so what that means is that Kevin McCarthy has a much narrow margin um, in the House. And so he has the unenviable task of cor corralling the Republican Party to elect him as House Speaker and to govern over the next two years. And, and in doing so, he's had to appeal to far-right conservatives like Congress, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene um, because, you know, she has a lot of influence with the House Freedom Caucus. Um, Can I and stop so, you there for a minute? 
Uh, I want to tell our executive producer, Mark Amaldi, we should have a sound that we can play anytime anybody mentions Marjorie Taylor Greene's number, uh, name. Anyway, excuse me. <laughs> well, I mean, she is poised to play a major role over the next two years when the new Congress, you know, is officially sworn in and, and governing. Um, because Kevin McCarthy, he just he can't afford to write her off. Like, that's just not going to fly anymore. Um, if he wants to be leader, if he wants to have, I don't know if I can even call it smooth, but if he ha wants to have a somewhat smooth tenure as the leader of the House Republicans, he's going to have to play nice with Marjorie Taylor Greene, and she knows it. Um, and she's using it to her benefit. And I think that, you know, one thing I also wanted to say is that with Nancy Pelosi stepping down and Kevin McCarthy, you know, stepping up into House Speaker role, it really means that now he won't even have Nancy Pelosi to be like, she's this big, like this boogie woman, right? Like he really does have to govern on his own credentials as opposed to like, you know, this punching bag that, forgive me for saying that, but that they've used Nancy Pelosi as. Um, and so that, I mean, that really means, I, you know, another thing that I'm also curious to see over the next two years is Nancy Pelosi was really good at bringing all different like factions of her party I to agree. vote, you know, and I'm, I'm not quite sure Kevin McCarthy has that same level of, of um, expertise that Nancy Pelosi has, which is why I think we're going to see more and more of Marjorie Taylor Greene's voice in, in the House. It's just that, like, she has found an opening that plays well to her because Kevin McCarthy, he just can't afford to lose that many votes when it comes to votes. I mean, yeah, you know what I mean, when it comes to legislation, because it'll be embarrassing if, you know, he has to go begging to Democrats to pass legislation. Okay. Uh, one last thing I want to ask you about. Uh, you wrote an article recently, uh, and I'm going to need you to do this in about a minute or so, unfortunately, that there were no, there are no black female senators or governors. And, you know, I read your article and I, I said to myself, gee, that can't be true. Uh, then I made a running inventory of the governors and the senators. And I said, yeah, now we have two Democrats uh, run close races, Stacey Abrams in Georgia and uh, Sherry, I can't remember her name in North Carolina. Uh, why is that? Yeah. Let me let me be clear, because I, I only have like a minute or two. So uh, black women are the most loyal voting black. I'm sorry, let me say that again. Black women are the most vote. Vo ah, why can't I speak today? <laughs> black women are the most loyal voting block for the Democratic Party. They show up at higher rates than anyone else, followed by black men. They and voted so, about 92 percent for Democratic candidates on election day. Yes, exactly. And so over the past you know, a few years to a decade, they've been, you know, really flexing their muscle and saying, hey, we want more representation. Hence, you know, VP Kamala Harris being a black woman. Um, and so, especially after 2018, with the excitement that Stacey Abrams garnered, you know, 2022 was supposed to be the year that, you know, she stepped into her role as governor. That didn't really work out. Um, in the Senate, you know, I, I remember reading about how Sherry Beasley, right, I think there might have been frustrations because it was like, you know, if the DNC, if the Democratic Party had really invested in her campaign, maybe she could have won. Maybe it would have been more competitive. Um, so what we're seeing is that, like, black women still struggle to win statewide races. Um, and and why, so, just quickly uh, answer me, why do you think that is? 
I, I think people aren't used to seeing them in these sorts of leadership roles, and so it can be hard. You you have to break the barrier of like people even imagining. Sorry, I'm going to have to interrupt you again. Thanks to our guest, Mavinti Kwashi, uh, who is a national politics reporter for USA Today. We'll be right back with more of Deadline DC and our next guest, Tara Devlin of Carabusta, right after this message. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest in this half hour is Tara Devlin, host of the Terror Buster mm-hmm. podcast. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about with Tara, but before we get to Tara, we're going to play this clip. Uh, this morning, uh, Joe Biden uh, pardoned Thanksgiving turkey, and it wasn't Donald Trump. <laughs> First of all, the votes are in, they've been counted and verified. There's no ballot stuffing. There's no foul play. The only red wave this season is going to be a German Shepherd commander knocks over the cranberry sauce on our table. Uh, That, of course, was President Biden. Uh, The big news, of course, last week, as it usually is in American politics, uh, revolved around Donald Trump. Uh, He entered uh, the presidential race for the third time. Uh, he uh, is now the subject of an investigation by a special prosecutor appointed by the Department of Justice, and his ears must be ringing because even Republicans are uh, exchanging recriminations about his lack of leadership as leader of the Republican Party. <laughs> Last week, the Donald threw his hat into the ring and threw fuel into the fire. With Trump's help, the GOP smashed, snatched midterm victory, midterm defeat from the joys of victory. The big red wave evaporated into a tiny pink puddle. Things got even worse for Republicans with his announcement that he would run for president in 2024. The party's disappointing performance last week has provoked divisive recriminations within the GOP. Trump's entrance into the fray just adds fuel to the fire. Trump's entry into the 2024 presidential sweepstakes came with the usual bombast and bluster. Bad news for Americans in general and Republicans in particular. Our guest in this uh, segment is our good friend, Tara Devlin, host of the Tara Buster uh, podcast, Tara Buster. If you want to comment uh, to Tara on uh, her show or our show or anything for that matter, uh, you can tweet her at real Tara Devlin. Yes. Tara, welcome back to Deadline DC. Thank you, Brad. Great now, to be here. Let me ask you this question about Trump. Ugh. Uh, yeah, okay. Should Democrats be celebrating the fact that he's decided to run for president again because there are a lot of people believe uh, that he'd be a lot easier to beat in 2024 than someone like uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. What do you think? Yeah, I think, yeah, he is. He's a loser. Trump is a loser. He always has been. Everything he touches, he destroys. And he, you know, did it again that he he won the presidential election on the on the only day he could have won it. I mean, we can't uh, forget that he only he won the Electoral College by a squeaker. So, 
given his performance for uh, at the past, whenever, however long he's stained the White House, I mean, he too is, he, yeah, too long. He is, he's a disgrace. He's a criminal. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm sick of him getting away with all of his crimes constantly. Now we have the special prosecutor and uh, Merrick Garland should have, uh, should have, uh, you know, uh, appointed one sooner if that was the case, because Donald Trump was always running for president and we all know what he's up to. He commits crimes in real time, right out in the open. That's his, that's his shtick. And I'm, I don't know. I don't know if somebody, you know, you know, you just look at reality winner who went to jail for five years for taking home one classified document and Trump gets to, you know, he just does whatever he wants. It's just incredible to me. But, you know, I should point out in all fairness that uh, terror is right. He is a loser. Uh, <laughs> not in uh, two. Uh, of course, he upset Hillary Clinton yeah, in I 2016, mean. but he did lose the popular vote. Yes. In 2018, his party suffered a massive loss in the House of Representatives. In 2020, he lost and the Republicans lost control of the Senate. And uh, in 2002, his visibility and refusal to leave the stage uh, cost Republicans a big electoral win in the midterm election. So you're right. He's a loser, loser, loser. He's a three-time loser, actually. Because he's vile. He's just a vile human being and a waste of human DNA, in my opinion. But because he is just a horrible person. And that that's probably the most distressing part of it all for me is just that he has unleashed the other horrible people and I, and the fact that there really are so many of them. And so we there was no red wave, but there it, it should have been a blowout, no matter what. I don't know who votes for these people, but it's... It is a testament, in my opinion. It really is about the media. Propaganda works. And, you know, we have, we don't really have a liberal media. I mean, this is the liberal media. You're, you're looking at it right here, right? But, Just you and me? <laughs> exactly. That's it. It's God. us. That's a lot and, of pressure. <laughs> it is. It is a lot of pressure. And well, let me, uh, <laughs> let me just say, by the way, uh, uh, my most recent article in The Hill, which I'll plug, uh, is on the uh, negative effect that Donald Trump had had on Republican fortunes. Yeah. Uh, if you want to read it, you read it. You can read it at uh, muckrack, that's M-U-C-K-R-A-C-K dot com front slash Brad Bannon front slash articles. Uh, okay, uh, we've got Donald Trump. Uh, we've probably talked way too much about him, mm, so uh, it's let's never move ending. on. Right. Even with you know, him coming back to Twitter, all of it, then it becomes a headline on the Huffington Post. Well, let's talk. Okay, let's talk about that. Uh, let's talk about uh, now that uh, Elon Musk has oh, uh, conquered, taken over Twitter, and apparently is running it yeah. into the ground. Uh, he did announce last like week do. that he was mm-hmm. letting Trump back on Twitter. I'm not sure. I think actually uh, Trump declined uh, his kind offer. Um, but what kind of effect do you think Musk domination of uh, Twitter will have on the political environment? Well, I don't know. Uh, I mean, if you've noticed, see, I, I'm on Twitter, as we all pretty much probably yeah. are. But 
I, in my Twitter feed all, and I talk about it on my show too, because I don't follow these right wingers, but they're constantly popping up in my yeah, same feed. for me. And I'm constantly getting notifications from people that I've muted. I say I'm not interested. I'm not, you know, I don't follow, uh, you know, Candace Owens. But why, why don't, why am I getting, why am I getting this? It comes up on my phone. So they, yeah, and I've, I've asked, I've asked. Maybe I just don't, haven't figured out how the internet works yet. But you know, it's like, why are these? If I go on there right now, you'll, I would just in real time, you could see it's all conservative tweets. They all come right up to the top. It's all the, the, the lies, the filth, the divisiveness. And, you know, Elon Musk, uh, apparently today he said that he would not allow Alex Jones back on the platform because, you know, he suffered, he, he, he put out a, a Bible quote, you know, cause I'm sure he's really into the Bible. And, um, so, but the, it's it's an example of the fact that there should be no billionaires. You know, the founders fought a revolution to overthrow the intergenerational aristocracy and monarchy that had ruled Western civilization for two thousand years and uh, or longer, right? So we shouldn't this this thing that we're doing here, this constitutionally limited democratic republic. Of, of of by and for the people is supposed to be kind of free from the whims of the rich, right? We live or die under the 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 whims of our betters, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. And it seems like now we're this is what we're going back to. And Republicans are quite happy with that because that's the kind of system they want. They want the top-down, kiss-up, kick-down system that where Big Daddy saves them from the scary, complex world of other people who don't know their place. They're, you know, and that's really what it's all about for them. They, they, like, they like it like that. They want Daddy to come in and tell them, you know, and own the libs and, and put people where, they, where they're comfortable. And, uh, you know, that's not, that, that's not what this is supposed to be, though. And, uh, you know, they just lack the maturity to function in it. Uh, in my opinion, you know, they lack that fundamental maturity that we and, and look at Elon Musk, like just his behavior in itself. He's like he is a worthless billionaire. He's a man child. He's a, a malignant a man narcissist. child with money. Right. And so we all have to, you know, if you go to the town square and you start yelling the N word, they're going to come and take you away. The cops are going to arrest you for disorderly conduct but it's okay to do it on twitter because the minute he he took over the platform that's all that happened it was just n words Sarah, everywhere I'm have to interrupt you there because we're going to take a short yes, break now <laughs> to accommodate our radio listeners we'll right, be right back with more of tara devlin the host of the podcast tara buster see your cup right there yes. i have a tara buster cup too <laughs> it's very it's, they're very they're a, hot item. they're a hot item they're a hot item nice Uh, welcome back to our radio listeners. Uh, this is Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. 
And our guest in this half hour is Tara Devlin, the host of the Tara Buster podcast. Uh, let me tell you what surprised we were talking about uh, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, who uh, won a 19 point victory over his Democratic challenger, former governor and former Republican Charlie Crist. Uh, what surprised me about the coverage of DeSantis, and it'll be interesting to see if this changes, uh, during the COVID-19 epidemic, Florida was a horror show, yeah. more so than a lot of other states. Their death rate was incredibly high, and it was for the, you know, he just, DeSantis just refused to acknowledge that COVID was a problem. Uh, he didn't want to close anything. He resisted tooth and nail. Uh yeah closing anything uh that surprises me why do you think people are giving him a pass on that well i think it has a lot to do with propaganda it really does it's the constant drumbeat that desantis is the is the greatest he's you know he's fighting the woke you know or whatever the hell that means and so we only have you know the uh this right wing media and then you have uh that's why of course the republicans have so vilified any any semblance of a legitimate press that uh they all they don't believe anything that unless it's coming from their own mouthpieces and the, and studies have shown those who watch fox news are less informed than people who watch absolutely no news at all and and it's studies conducted by the socialist uh, rag known as business insider, <laughs> you know? So it's, uh, yeah. And that's another thing you always have to say, Oh, it came from this. It came from that. Like there's absolutely no trust, uh, uh anywhere, but that is also a, a, um, a, a hallmark of fascism. And they've done that deliberately. You know, you, the only profession enshrined in the constitution, they have deliberately vilified and, and as they do all the pillars of democracy, they go after the, uh, the press, they go after public education, they go after the, uh, taxing the rich. That's another patriotic imperative. If you want to have a functioning democracy, you can't have an aristocracy and, uh, you know, you can't have this wide income gap and, you know, that's why it's they really don't like this country. They hate everything about it. I've said this before on my show and I've gotten some pushback from people. But then, you know, I, the, I bring the receipts because just like what we're talking about, they hate e pluribus unum. They hate the fact that we are a nation of immigrants. This is a, it built right into the very foundation of America. We, in fact, one of the charges against King George was that he was limiting immigration, right? And that was tyrannical uh, to the founders. So, you know, uh, everything that makes this country actually great, they go after. You know, they call it government schools. Well, you need to have government schools. And so they, let, me oh, ask, let me ask you this then. Mm -hmm. You know, we have the situation in this country where it's deeply divided. Yes. I mean, there are at least 40% of the voters who yes. would vote for Trump hella high water. Uh -huh. It doesn't matter what you say about him, uh, what he does, uh, how he behaved. They're going to vote for right. Trump. There are at least 40% of them, of the Ameri Americans who were willing to support him hella high water. Is that just the media? Is it just it the is. propaganda? <laughs> It is. It is. And in fact, I would, of course, you're not going to hear this on the media, on the actual corporate media, because it's 
it's a it's you know it's a business in in the past before the telecommunications act of 96 and that was a clinton clinton signed that that created made fox news possible made rush limbaugh possible but before that you know we had uh over 50 companies owning you know media and there were there were cross ownership rules now those are gone you know so now we have six transnational corporations owning the media and it and they've done studies on the divided nation and it you could tr and you could trace it to the telecommunications act that's when we really began to be entrenched in these uh in the silos of information and the the different camps of uh and that's why we're divided so i i mean i have uh my own opinion on how we could fix this country but it would it takes democrats really taking back the mantle of patriotism in general because you you can't you know call yourself a patriot if you hate everybody in the country you know if you're if you're motivated by triggering the libs and that's what we see going on in the house the the thing that i can't stand and i'm not looking forward to the next 2 years of having to endure the clown show well, let me let me ask you about that, because that's uh, something I want to talk mm -hmm, about. Mm -hmm. um, our guest in the first half hour, Mabinti Korshi, who is a reporter for USA Today, she was talking about the uh, Republicans taking control of the House. And she basically said, I'm paraphrasing her, yeah. uh, but she said that basically uh, Kevin McCarthy, if he does become survives and becomes speaker, won't be able uh, to go to the bathroom right. uh, without asking permission from Marjorie Taylor Greene first. Uh, yeah. So uh, I, I'm sorry when I you said clown show, I thought Marjorie yeah. Taylor. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. She's a clown. She's a joke. You know, if you look even her her whole uh, history, if you look at her history, she's a fraud. Everything about her is a fraud. She's not a businesswoman. You know, they put her name on the it's her family's business and she got paid to go do CrossFit. That's what that was her job. She went to the gym every day and did CrossFit until she fell down a cue hole online and then became, you know, involved in politics. And uh, so, I mean, they're all they're all a bunch of frauds. So but yeah, it is a clown show and she's obviously willfully ignorant she does. She doesn't understand. You know, peach tree dish and and <laughs> gazpacho. Please, I mean, those she's are, a Jewish space laser. Yes. Yeah. And, but it's so you know she thinks she actually thinks it's peach tree dish because yeah. she's illiterate and she doesn't. She's never read a book in her life. I'm sure unless she gets all her information from memes on 4chan. That's that's how they. That's the, where they get their historical knowledge. And so. She thought it was peach tree dish. You know that because she hears yeah. she only heard it. You know what I mean? So she doesn't uh, they're all they're 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 not um, fit to hold leadership positions in a modern nation. And it's baffling to me how people vote for them, like Lauren Boebert, who just won her race in a squeaker by 500 votes. I mean, that would have been great to get rid of her. I mean, they, but the fact that they they so disrespect the office, the, the entire system. 
they, well, I think it, that that's actually a good point because I think a lot of it is because they disrespect the system so much. Yes. Uh, that's part of their appeal. Oh, of course, of course, and the, there is legitimate. And a lot of Americans disrespect the system. Of don't course, trust but it's it. And I contend, you know, you can go right. You could trace them storming the Capitol, defecating and urinating in the Capitol. Right, you that from from that from January sixth. Right down to Reagan saying the nine most dangerous words in America is I'm from the government. And I'm here to help. Right. And because, you know, I, I, that's why I wish the Democrats. The thing that so annoys me about them is that every lesson they seem to learn is that they need to be more like Republicans. Right. So uh, if something happens, oh, we got to go more right. We got to instead of standing your ground and owning uh, the patriotism. What are you talking about? If you're uh, the the government that the founders fought, bled, and died to entrust to us, if that's if that's your enemy, then you're you know you're really not a patriot. You're uh, you're you know on par with uh, you know the enemies of the of the system that they fought, bled, and died for. Really, it's a. Uh, it's, we only um, got about just you know sixty seconds left. What do you mm. expect out of the? House now that it's under Republican control. Anything to note? <laughs> well, I mean, it's just going to be a, a bunch of clowns putting on a show for Fox News because that's all they have. They are, uh, it's like Madison Cawthorn. His, he never had constituent services. He, and he, because he lost his primary, you know, he's still in, in the House until someone, you know, do not, uh, I was in the National Guard. We will not abandon our posts until properly relieved, right? But he just bugged off, you know, and effed off to Florida because and left his constituents high and dry. This is who they are. They're not in it to represent the people. They're not in it to make this the, this country in any and way. And on that, form that good. note, we're going to have to finish the interview. I want to thank our guest today. Uh, we had Mabinti Kwashi, who is a national politics reporter from USA Today. And, of course, uh, Tara Devlin, the host of the podcast, Tara Buster. I want to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving. We'll be back soon with you on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon uh, with more shows, if you can stand it, about politics. Yes. Uh, anyway, I want to thank, also thank our executive producer, Mark Grimaldi, for making sure the trains run on time and I stay online.